Gen Z's Guide to Politics. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pauline, and I'm here with your other co-host, Rachel. Hello, everybody. Yes, Pauline and I are here. We're queer and we are ready to talk about some history today. It's a hot girl history lesson today. Hot girl history is one of my favorite categories, I think, that the podcast puts out, honestly. I also love it. I, I think it's really nice to like kind of glamorize history because history is supposed to like it's not supposed to be hot that's not what I'm saying but it like it should be hot you know (laughs) yes yes no no I I get what you're saying like it's hot to be educated you know hot girls are yes that's what I'm trying to get at so yeah we love hot girl history here and like we said hot girls are educated especially about history and I love like connecting it with things that are going on like in our present world, in our present moment, because obviously everything is connected. Like that TikTok sound. <laughs> I know, say. Everyone so, is connected. Everything, everywhere is connected. Yeah, that's how it is with history and our modern day politics and government scene. But today um, we are going to be covering one of the topics that we've selected for Black History Month, because we think that it's important for our listeners to know about for sure, but also important for like, I know for me, I feel like it's really important that I educate myself on these topics and going through sources and reading things and reading accounts. It's just a valuable thing to do. Today, we are going to be covering what happened with Seneca Village. I don't know if it's something that a lot of people have heard about, at least prior to maybe 2020. I know that like when I was in school and everything, I didn't really learn about like a lot of different events like this that did happen as we sort of touched on in the last episode. I feel like just reiterating that like this was another thing that I didn't really know happened. And especially as somebody who is local to New York City now and who lived there for four years, and I still really consider myself a New Yorker because, like, I went to school there. I love it. All my, like, friends and chosen family are there. And I'm honestly hoping to get back soon or one day. So if you are local to NYC, it's probably good that you know about this history as well because it does affect us. So... I think without further ado, let's jump into our topic today. Quick trigger warning before we do jump into this topic. We're going to be discussing, we are going to be discussing obviously like a historical event. There will be some discussion of racism, eviction, racial based discrimination and violence, not like very graphic violence or anything, but just, yeah. Just wanted to throw that in as well. And yeah, I think that covers most of what what we have today for our content warning. So now we can jump in a little bit. local to New York City or if you even live on the East Coast or I don't know I feel like everybody kind of knows about Central Park 
But if you live in New York City, it's unlikely that you have not been to Central Park. I know when I lived there, I went there all the time. Two of the places that I lived, as well as my college, were literally really close to Central Park, like a couple blocks away. So I, um, living in Manhattan at least, was pretty much always close to Central Park. It's huge. It like spans a really huge part of the island on Manhattan and it's sprawling. It's a wide green space um, in the middle of this like big urban environment, right? And it's crazy because there are literally like some parts of the park where you can walk around and it makes you feel like you're literally not even in the city anymore. Like, I remember walking through some parts. Um, one of them is called the Bramble. Like, if you walk through the Bramble, there's literally, like, you can't hear cars. Like, you can't hear cars. You can't hear the city. You're just, like, in the Bramble, like, hanging out in the woods. And it's, like, it's a really odd and intriguing feeling. But, <laughs> but you know, there's an origin story to everything. What was there before Central Park? Back in the 1820s, New York City was a totally different place. And that's not just referring to like the socio-political people that lived there, like the, the climate at the time, but also like just the general geography of the city and like how it was settled and how urban it was versus like what was countryside. Again, we're in the time era of like the 1820s, right? In the 1820s, at the time, the city was largely unsettled. Um, a lot of the city had not been yet industrialized and everything. Most of the city's residents, right, a lot of the people that lived there, lived in the lower part of Manhattan toward, like, the bottom of the island. Most of what was above lower Manhattan, right, anything kind of above a certain line, was less settled it was less densely populated and generally it was like less you know there was less factory work and things like that downtown manhattan was populated by a lot of different folks but there were like certain neighborhoods that also had higher or lower populations of these different groups of people so yeah there downtown manhattan was populated by a lot of different people poor white folks. There were also um, a lot of immigrants, specifically like Irish immigrants at the time. Another population that was significant in Lower Manhattan was Black folks. So things started to shift when slavery was abolished in New York State. It's important to note that when slavery was abolished, it wasn't outlawed like in the way that I think a lot of people kind of think it was or imagine it was. When it was abolished, there was kind of like a slow phase out of slavery. It was, it happened over like a gradual kind of period of time. So it took them like a while to phase it out. Yeah. And it wasn't a thing of like, they outlawed it and then everybody was freed right away. No, like it took time. Right. And then... Yeah, there was definitely circumstances where people would have to literally buy their own freedom, right? Like they would have to kind of like figure out ways that they could purchase their own freedom because there was no other way. There was lots of confusion. Like when you, obviously slavery wasn't okay, but there were some people that didn't know any different. Like that was all they had had. And it was, it's really hard. 
like, and we're not saying slavery is okay, but we're saying for those slaves, it was really hard to figure out how you were supposed to adjust to life. Because, like, even running away from a situation to somewhere and figuring it out on your own is different than suddenly just being free. Mm -hmm. It's completely different. Yes. But yeah, so I, I just think that that's, like, an important point to make for sure. And I'm glad that, like, we're mentioning that. It did happen over, like, a gradual period of time. It was during this time and throughout this time, there started to be a higher percentage of racial violence that was happening in Manhattan, lower Manhattan specifically. At the time, historians have kind of talked about how there were more, there was a lot more free Black people who were looking for working, paying jobs, right? There was a huge feeling of competition between the white folks who were living in New York freed Black folks and the immigrant populations that were coming over to America and everything as well. There was a lot of, you know, turmoil in this period of time. There was land that was farther uptown or like kind of more north that started to become available for purchase. So a lot of farmers, they were selling their land and people were obviously buying it. So this is kind of where Seneca Village's settlement process really begins. There was a Black man named Andrew Williams, and he bought three plots of land from a white farmer in 1825. The African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church bought 12 lots of land as well. And then they bought six more after that, shortly after that. The settlement ended up being around what's now the Upper West Side. So if you're familiar with New York City, like the Met and Gossip Girl happens on like the Upper East Side, right? I feel like everybody knows like the Gossip Girl scene where they're sitting on the steps of like the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. On the other side of Central Park is where Upper West Side is. The settlement would be between 89th and 82nd Street. Let's talk about what life was like in Seneca Village, because I think it's important to talk about that. Obviously, this was, again, a very long, long time ago. So even historians and archaeologists and people who have studied specifically in Central Park and around Seneca Village and where it was, we kind of have to put together right information based off of that study and that research, because we didn't have photo or video back then. So Life in Seneca Village gave free Black people and Black families a variety of resources and opportunities to make them feel safe and successful. As they started to kind of populate this area more and there was more people moving in, there was a stronger sense of community there between everybody that lived there for sure. And there were three churches and there was also a school for Black students. Black men right? Free Black men who owned property or who could buy the property in Seneca Village, essentially. They, because they owned property, they were also able to vote, which is like, again, a huge deal, right? So that was the stipulation that you had to own property in order to vote. And so owning that property in Seneca Village then gave them the ability to do that. Additionally, there was homes being built continuously to accommodate new residents. By the 1850s, there was over 300 residents in Seneca Village who had made their homes there and who were like working and they had jobs and they were supporting the economy infrastructure there. It really was like a safe haven for Black people 
Additionally, after a little while, there started to also be immigrants who were, you know, moving into the settlement. Irish and German immigrants faced different kinds of hardships moving into the city. And, you know, they also had kind of prejudice against them just because they were immigrants coming into America at the time. And again, it was a point of competition and contention with other white folks who were already there. How do we know this, though? So historians can literally point to census records and church records that will demonstrate that this was a integrated community, right? Instead of segregated, it was integrated. That would be the opposite. This means that it did eventually start to become integrated via these records, the census and church records that we do have. Records show that there was both kinds of families, right, that would attend the same churches, same religious ceremonies, such as like baptisms, marriages, things like that. And that means that like at these, you know, in these buildings and at these events, there would be both black and white families present at the time. And additionally, and I thought this was really interesting, they were even laid to rest in the same cemeteries. The interesting part is that the headstones and the gravestones and these records that we do have demonstrate that there was interracial marriages that were going on. Ah, yeah, which I thought was pretty interesting because obviously at the time, right, now it's a little different, like, you know, but even like 50 years ago, interracial marriage was a controversial thing. And like before that as well, like earlier than that. At this time, again, with segregation being such a huge part of American society, interracial marriages were not a normal occurrence at all. But in Seneca Village, we do have record that they've happened and that they did and were happening there. The inhabitants of Seneca Village were largely middle class Owning property was definitely a way to kind of like leverage some power or leverage some like money, like bringing in money, essentially. Additionally, they were able to grow their own food because a lot of them were allocated gardens or open spaces by their houses. Like a lot of them did have some kind of way to get food or just some sort of like something to bring in. Mm -hmm. They were pretty economically secure. And also a lot of people had high school diplomas or high school degrees. A high school degree? No, a high school diploma. That's what that's what the word is, Rachel. Yeah, it's diploma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically a degree at that time, honestly. Yeah. So a lot of them did have high school educations, which was a really big deal back in the day. So that's kind of what life was like for people who were living in Seneca Village. And as you can tell by this description, they had like a functioning running society that they had essentially built themselves from the ground up. Um, and they had settled there, right? But obviously, Seneca Village is not there anymore. It's no longer in New York City. It's not in Central Park hanging out. So what happened to Seneca Village? Like many other things, the rich ruined it. Big surprise there. They ruined it for everybody. Like, they ruin everything. The context of this situation is that New York City's population had really boomed by the 1850s. There was a lot more people moving in and emigrating and everything. And in the 40s, backtracking a little bit, right? In the 1840s, the kind of elite society of New York and the people who were building the city, who were running the city and everything, 
they had been traveling to Europe, you know, we we seeing the fancy sights and things. <laughs> and <laughs> going to Europe, you'll notice that in Europe there have been a lot of these long-standing landscaped parks, right? They are huge, like, open space parks that were kind of unique to Europe. But in the 1840s, the elite of New York, who had been going to see these parks, were like, we need one, too. Give us one in America. We want it. We're going to build it. So that's what they decided to do. So the rich folks who were running New York City, right, wanted to have their own beautiful park. You know, very shiny thing. So I want it now sort of vibes. Upon making the decision, these elite people decided that they had to figure out where they were going to put it. So the two men who developed the plan for the park, Frederick Law Olmsted and Calvert Vaux, they designated a huge space from 59th Street to 106th Street. Of course, this does include Seneca Village. So at this point, which we have discussed, Seneca Village was developed They had streets, they had churches, cemeteries, schools, and over 300 residents, as we stated before. So what happened? How could they have gotten away with it and just like bulldozing Seneca Village and building over it? Well, as they started to get closer and closer to the actual construction date of the park and when they were going to build it and start building it, the news media and the political figures in the city started to set out on a smear campaign, basically, and they really smeared the image and the reputation of Seneca Village. They called the residents of the town, quote-unquote, scoundrels, squatters, and basically made them out to be these, like, degenerate of society type characters. They also called the village a shanty town, which is totally shitting on the actual settlement that was built from the ground up, right? What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, awful and disgusting. But the smear campaign really assisted those who wanted to replace the settlement with the park, right? And it really boosted their efforts to do so. The residents, of course, were fighting really hard to keep their homes, their places of worship, and their schools and lives literally intact. However, they were not successful in their efforts. Because they were unsuccessful in their efforts, there was a huge forced removal that happened as a result of this. In 1857, the city and the people who were building the park, they used something called eminent domain. Eminent domain is the right of the government or its agent to expropriate, expropriate, expropriate. I think it means like forced leave, right? Yeah, that's basically what it means. Pauline comes in clutch always. Thank you, Queen. <laughs> Private property for public use, right? So they can be like, fuck you, get out of your house. We are building a park now, e.g. Seneca Village. So they use this idea of eminent domain to remove the residents from their homes. Residents were essentially forcefully evicted, and they had to leave their homes and everything that they had built behind. People who did not leave willingly were removed with force by the police, and after people left, the village was completely demolished. Central Park was laid over the village where it was demolished. Historians don't know too, too much about what happened to the previous residents, Archaeological digs at the site have revealed 
a number of artifacts, right, that kind of like solidify and prove what we were talking about previously. You know, there was beef bones, so they had agriculture, bottles, smoking pipes, a toothbrush, dishes, buttons, all those things indicate a very like, a very like built society, right? And like people who were kind of drifters or who maybe were houseless, like they wouldn't have things like dishes or a toothbrush necessarily. Like this demonstrates that they were exactly what we know them to be in Seneca Village. And the professors who have done these archaeological digs, they're really wonderful. And they're from Columbia University, NYU, and CUNY, or College University of New York. And they have directed these archaeological digs at these sites that have brought up this information. Historical site designations that have gone on Seneca Village was designated as National Historic Landmark on May 23rd, 1963, and it was added to the National Register of of Historic Places on October 15th, 1966. It is recognized as a National Historical Landmark and everything. There's been studies done on it, but whenever you're in Central Park, if you're ever in Central Park, Take a moment to look around where you are, think about what happened there, and reflect on the residents who were forced to leave their homes in Seneca Village and how they had to watch their homes be destroyed. Which is atrocious because it's, like, Seneca Village isn't the only place it happened at. Like, this was happening a lot, and it still happens. Like, there are Black towns that were literally demolished and turned Mm -hmm. into lakes. Yeah, And people boat at them and there's like whole towns underneath them. Mm-hmm. It's not even something that we necessarily think about, especially if there are not like markers at the sites where we are, right? In Central Park, there is like a designated marker, Seneca Village historic site and everything. But it's like, how long did it take you to put it there? Exactly. that, And that brings up the point. It's like the, the designations, if y'all heard me and remember, they didn't happen until the 60s. This is literally hundreds of years later that this is happening. Like, why? Why did it take people that long? You know? So I think it's important, like Pauline said in our last episode, which was about the Tulsa race riots and the massacre that happened there. If you haven't listened to it, go give it a listen. It's a good episode. But As we were talking about in that episode, it's really important to know what happened in the place you live and where you came from, right? History impacts the way that we interact with the world. So it's important to learn about it and it's important to know about it. But that is everything that we have to talk about with Seneca Village and our Seneca Village episode today. So I think with that being said... I think we can close out today's episode. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for coming to um, Hot Girl History with us. And I am so happy that we have listeners who want to engage with history and everything. Yeah. Don't forget to follow us on TikTok and Instagram. It's both Gen Z's Guide to Politics. And because we're going to be posting a lot of Black history content for the rest of the month. Yeah. Have a great day. Have a great day. Have a great week. And happy Black History Month. And we can't wait for more awesome content to give you guys. So, all right, y'all. Bye-bye.